Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring this strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working in private practice settings as a clinician and a clinical supervisor in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. So for any ethical concerns on your caseload, please refer to your state laws and licensing boards. And please remember to follow The Whole Therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening station. For more resources, blogs, and consultation opportunities, visit wholetherapistinstitute.com. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to The Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. We're excited to have you here today. We are wanting to talk about cooperation versus competition, and we want to spend time talking more about us therapists in the field um, and the community at a whole versus talking about, you know, in the therapy room with clients. Yeah, so we're really addressing like therapist culture and this sense of communal, cooperative energy. And we know what that feels like in our system. And then as soon as I'm about to say competition, Mm. like my belly tenses and I'm like, (laughs) yes, we all know what that feels like too. this competitive sense with other therapists. Mm -hmm. But I'm noticing when you said that I am a competitive person. (laughs) So I think when I hear that, then I think about losing. Yeah, right. And so then I get this feeling. I'm like, oh, what if I lose? Are you competitive in every area of life? Would you say this is work or sports or? I'm sure it translates to every area, but Hmm. I don't know if I'm like fully aware of it yet. Hmm. But I I would say what I know about myself, I probably am. Uh, I think it comes more from this like negative cognition of like, I'm not enough. Mm, And then trying. Yes. Yeah. I relate to that too. Yeah. I didn't think I was a competitive person because I didn't love team sports. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out you can still be competitive without being a team sport player. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's not the only way that you can be seen as competitive. But I think growing up, it was always like, oh, you're not competitive. Mm. You're not competitive. When the truth is, I think I get really um, intense when I set my mind to something. Yes. And I then, yeah, and then maybe competitive against my own standard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've had to learn that along my career, too, about what my standard is for myself and that I cannot hold other people to that standard. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think, I know you and I have talked about how I've recently come to know this part of me that is a people pleaser. (laughs) And so I'm also remembering I did do like track. um, Me too. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Well, I did like relay race. So to me, there's like this like team component oh, to it. see. I'd never. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I did the two mile. It was oh. barely track. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, cross 200 country. meters was long distance That's for me. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so when I won, it was also about look what I did and, and like me. And um, yeah. so I guess that's still about not being enough. But yeah. So I don't know. It probably does go. And so I'm, as I've gotten older it's poured into my professional identity. I think it's funny to be in like our almost mid-30s and be like 
oh, I am a people pleaser. Or for me, it's been, oh, I'm a perfectionist. I didn't know this about myself until mm-hmm. three plus decades until like you would think I would know. I yeah. yeah. We're but onions. I, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the essence of what we're talking about is that underneath this competitive spirit, there are negative cognitions to use EMDR speak. Mm-hmm. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I need, I need to do X, Y, Z to prove my worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm, not deserving. So all yeah. those things. Yeah. Well, we were inspired by this because yeah, we have been doing readings and thankfully we have somebody that's been helping us learn more about epigenetics, mm-hmm. uh, listening to different podcasts, reading, you know, Bruce Lipton's book. Mm-hmm. I know you've done a lot more reading about like nature. Mm-hmm. Everything talks about how survival is based on cooperation. Which is so contrary to what scientists used to believe Yes, about us on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And so we went into this more in our training, if you want to check it out on the website, if you're mm-hmm. interested in learning about epigenetics specifically. Mm-hmm. But if you look at even the history of that, there's this pull towards Darwinian survival of the fittest. Yes. When it's actually not the case. No. At all. No, I love the piece that you and I have talked about with and we might have talked about on other episodes with trees and kind of their underground networks Mm -hmm. and how this tree can be miles miles and miles and miles away but it's receiving messages from other trees yes that death is coming right and so it does all, all that can even though it's just like lone single tree hundreds of miles away this underground network has communicated to it yeah um, that it needs to be prepared yes yeah it's really beautiful the community that trees and i think the fungi too it's the mycorrhizal fungi that can show us about community so and not to make this whole podcast about like fungi right (laughs) (laughs) but to to see that there there's lessons there's teachings in our cells. There's teaching in the earth about working together and this symbiotic nature. That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about. So, yeah, we've been reading about cells and about plants and nature and just the wisdom and stories, the lessons in our bodies and in the earth. And Suzanne Simmert is the one who did this formative research around the ways that trees care for each other and particularly the the necessity of the symbiosis or the working together of mycorrhizal fungi and the trees, meaning that without the other, they will die. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty fascinating how she even traces it back to like 700 million years ago. Trees only exist because ocean plants migrated to the land and could only take root because of the fungi. And so she points it out very specifically in her writing about this emphasis on cooperation. Mm. Like we humans would not exist if it weren't for the cooperative nature. I mean, not to use the word nature, if it weren't for the cooperative necessity for nature to, to be birthed here. So for us to breathe, we need the trees and for the trees to be here, they needed the fungi. And yeah. so the colonization of the plants and the fungi work together. Mm-hmm. And then we come. And so when you look, when I zoom out and look at the story of the earth, and we could, we're not going to go into all of it today, maybe one day, but we could do this zooming out even further into space. But mm-hmm. it's like we only exist and have a beginning because of cooperation. And so a lot of her story is like, why does forestry 
emphasize competition. And as I read that, I thought of our field. Mm. Why do we, why do we emphasize not, not to talk badly on credentials? Mm -hmm. You and I have a lot of them. Yes. But I think part, it was partly motivated by competition. A hundred percent. Really. And why is there this emphasis when our very being and our continuing on depends on cooperation? Everything around us and in us has to cooperate to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I'm sitting here thinking about, I saw a meme, uh, I think <laughs> yesterday, and it showed um, Bill Gates and it was like, money's not important. And then it showed like Jennifer Lopez and it was like, looks aren't important. Um, and so I'm feeling like that by yeah. saying like, you know, cre credentials aren't important, yes. but I have some like privilege in having right. a lot of credentials. Yep. But I'm also relating to being in trainings before having credentials. Yeah. And you introduce yourself and you go around the room and people kind of spew off all of the different certifications that they have and the titles that they have and feeling, I would feel like I got smaller. Yeah. Um, and sometimes would f have a hard time feeling like I would have something to contribute. Mm -hmm. um, so now when I'm in trainings, I just say I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Me too. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Because to spit off all the things mm -hmm. feels unimportant. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I loved about, I think it was the last Play training they had done in person. Mm -hmm. It was right before. Yeah, the one you did. Mm -hmm. Yes. I loved that they had emailed everybody before the training and said, introduce yourself in email and let everyone know what your credentials are. So that basically when we're together, we can just like move on. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thank you. That's this is so great. Nice. Who needs a whole resume? Yeah. But if we appreciate the reason that people do that, mm -hmm. it's protective. Mm -hmm. Right. So if, if we're operating from that part of us that feels like I'm not good enough, mm -hmm. here's my credentials or here's what I'm working towards in my credential. It feels protective. Yes. Like, and I, and I am worth something. Look, mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between that as opposed to the joy of like, yeah, and I'm working towards my RPT because I love play therapy. Yeah. That feels so different than I'm doing this and this and that, like a, a list. Mm -hmm. It's not relational anymore. Right. So I think even in a training, we can share who we are and our credentials or what we love in a way that's relational and connects to the presenter or the people around us. Mm-hmm. But if you're just listing things, it could be a good opportunity to be really introspective. Like, why? Yeah. You know, what's the heart motive? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes me think about even coordinating care with other providers. Yes. Whether it's uh, with a teacher, psychiatrist, if you're transferring to a therapist, yep. or maybe you are working with an adjunct therapist. I know that there's been times where been like well this is my approach and this is what we're doing and this need for them to almost conform yeah. to the way that I'm doing it when really what we're learning is through the Dan Siegel yeah master class yeah that it's so important that we're bringing all fields yes together oh I just felt myself relax when you it's like yeah because I can really let that feeling come up in me mm -hmm. talking with particularly a psychiatrist or psychologist mm -hmm. um, or a specialist mm -hmm. of some I don't know like OCD exposure therapy specialist you yes. know 
and it can feel so strong their opinion which matters yes um it my own like standing can get really wobbly mm-hmm. and that framework of inviting all disciplines tell me more about that how Siegel talks about that. You phrased it so well before. I love that he said that he wasn't trying to create another discipline, but that interpersonal neurobiology is a framework Mm -hmm. that pulls together all of the sciences, which I'm learning also includes math. (laughs) That's a whole other topic. Oh my gosh. I was like, (laughs) I don't care what the mathematicians think, Dan. (laughs) Which interestingly enough, when you think about math, it really is like a cooperative thing to it, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. For all the faults that my dad had, he would say that I have such vivid memories being little and him being like, it all comes down to math. Everything is math. Everything is math. And then here I am listening to Dan Siegel. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a really funny story really quickly. It was like 930 at night, Mm -hmm. truly 930 at night. And I'm listening to this master class that Kelly and I are both doing. And I think you texted me a picture. And then you were doing it at the exact same time I was. It's yes. a self-paced study, everyone. Yes. And Kelly was doing it at a ridiculous... No one should be doing this class at any any time past like 6 p.m. Because yeah. it's really dense. Mm-hmm. And then I sent a picture. My husband was just making fun of us. He's like, this is... Because it was like a Friday night, I think. Yeah, you had sent me a text about like, well, Siegel would say this. And then I think I sent you a picture that was like, oh, I'm currently listening to Siegel. And you're like, I'm listening to it right now, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And there it is again, right? Like there's this cooperation, like we're doing something together Yeah, and right. it just like feels connective and mm-hmm. nurturing. And I think that's what Siegel's getting at is if we can just like pull from the powers of everyone. Yeah. Right. The sum of the parts is greater than mm, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yes. Thank you. Um, I just, it's so true. Like we hear that yeah. all the time, but it's true. I didn't know that the definition of emergent is that. Mm. There was something that really landed. He said a lot of things. Yeah, he did. <laughs> said a lot of things, and I'm I'm going to get through it. But that definition of emergence, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, I really want that to be, that would be my hope or like prayer for the field, is like all of us cooperating is greater than just the sum of us. Well, it almost touches on exactly how we came up with the title for the whole therapist. Yes. There's just so many parts to us. And that's why we were saying like the whole therapist is what's important. Yeah. It makes me think of gathering. Like I almost want to just like put my arms out and, and hold in. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. I mean, in private practice, I've had recent experiences of this competitive, uh, I don't know. What does that feel like from someone when you feel someone? We talked a little bit about our own feelings of competition and not enoughness. But when you feel that from someone else, how does that land in you? Because I feel myself backing away a little bit. Like it feels kind of intrusive when I get the feeling from someone else that they're feeling competitive, like with me or with the field, or we are trying to get coffee together. And then I realize, like, actually, they really need referrals only. Mm. And this isn't about relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like so happy to share. There's enough trauma and clients for everybody. Yes. But like if it's not relational, there's something about it that feels really aggressive in my system mm-hmm. that I want to just back away from it. Yeah, I think aggressive is the word that I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Of. I was just thinking like I, I get angry 
which I know then is right protecting me from probably a piece yeah. of just like feeling hurt. Yes. Because I, I really do want to be connected. I'm really proud of this section on my website where yeah. I have it where it just says colleagues and it's it's like minded people. Yes. And I just have their website. So if a client comes to my website and I'm not gonna be a good fit for them, there's a potential that these other colleagues I know will. I love that. And it's nice when we have a wait list yes. and we can refer to other people. Totally, totally. But that's actually a really helpful way to put it of anger or me, yeah, me feeling like pulling away. Mm-hmm. It is that protective because underneath it is a loss mm-hmm. or hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, oh gosh, I thought we were going to get to connect. And actually that's not, feels like they're grasping for something. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because our field, there's enough. Yeah. Well, in my experience in community mental health would be that I can do it all, right? There's some, community mental health, there's a lot of boxes to check. Yeah. And so, for instance, at one place I worked, they have this thing called a task list. And I would Yuck. constantly be <laughs> like, I'm going to have my task list the shortest out of everybody. Mm, yeah. Or billable hours. Like, I'm going to have the most billable hours. It is not conducive to good client care. No. It would have to show up in the room. I know that we're not focusing on that necessarily, the most of this episode, but Mm -hmm. um, there's no way neuroscience tells us that clients will feel it if we just see a dollar sign on their head Mm -hmm. in private practice, Mm -hmm. or if we have this energy of not enoughness or needing to prove, Mm -hmm. they'll feel it in the space with us. Yeah. Well, in this book, Trauma stewardship, and I think a lot of people read it in grad school. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, I was not introduced to it until well after grad school. And so if you have not read this, Trauma Stewardship, An Everyday Guide to Caring for Self While Caring for Others, uh, really important stuff to read. But towards the back, she talks about building community and how important that is for those of us that are working in a field where we care for others. She says that it is critical to create a microculture of support around you. A microculture is simply a community, but I like the term because it reminds me that our chosen group may nurture us by emphasizing a different set of values than the culture at large. Hmm. So I think that's what we are, when we are wanting to connect with coffee, Mm -hmm. we're trying to like build this microculture. Yeah. And again, if everything else in really its nature has been surviving because of cooperation, we can't be any different. No. Really, we are here because of cooperation. We know that we are here because of a sperm and an egg. They cooperated to create yes. us. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, think be- I think knowing the beginning and then the middle is really helpful to my system at least, to know the overarching story of how nature has worked together for us to be here Mm -hmm. and how it continues to work together for us to continue to be here. Yes. And so we get to share that. It feels like that abundance. We get to share that abundance with our colleagues. I mean, and the truth is most of us are in the field because we deeply care. Yes. We deeply care. This is, I'm going to swear. So if you have kids around, (laughs) put your headphones on. And I tell my husband, um, it's kind of a joke between us when I'm like stressed about something ridiculous. Like as a social worker, we there's no shortage of like getting worked up about policies and things like that. Yes. 
or at work or injustice and and I'll say like I give a lot of shits I give a lot of shits about this like <laughs> we really care about our clients yeah and it's sustainable when we have other nervous systems that can lend their energy to us and it's reciprocal back and forth mm -hmm. to make the work sustainable and then mentoring I think that's why you and I love supervising and mm -hmm. consultation and mm -hmm. we get to give that to others too yes mm -hmm. yeah when I had felt like somebody cared and was connected to me yeah I did better work I do better work yeah when I reach out to folks and start asking about things I feel more connected I feel more regulated I met with a mentor two weeks ago and I texted Kelly or I told you on like a Marco Polo mm -hmm. I was regulated for probably two days after yeah. from that one hour conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so find those people, whether it's a mentor or a peer or a colleague, mm -hmm. make your own colleague page on your website. Like yeah. we get to all work together. I think that's helpful to model for clients too, because that is what we want to teach them, mm -hmm. like that healthy interdependence. Yes. Yeah. So I think we just want to finish with another quote from the trauma stewardship. Towards the end here, she says, we are powerful people, and what we contribute to the world has profound ramifications. The world does not need more hostility. It does not need more judgment. It does not need more walls between people, species, or nations. And so we can always contribute to the betterment of the world if we initiate compassionate action in the face of wrongdoing. We remember that we are fundamentally connected to this earth and its life whatever the circumstances. Mm. So we hope as we leave you that if you don't already have your microculture, you begin to seek out those people and notice the difference as cooperation as a part of your system and your life versus competition. Mm. Thanks for being with us. Mm.